for Acts 15, and we're going to look at the first five verses uh, by opening text. Stand if you're able to, please. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas heard, or rather when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them, look here, to keep the law of Moses, to keep the law of Moses. In essence, you have a, a group of converted Jews who've uh, gotten saved or claim to have gotten saved that have come into the Jerusalem church and now they're beginning to go out and find other churches. Here in this passage, they've made their way to the church of Antioch, which is a church filled with Jews and Gentiles. And uh, these folks have come together. They're working well together. And these Jews from Jerusalem have made the trip to Antioch. They come into the church and they begin to tell them, you must first convert to Judaism before you can convert to Christianity. And a big fight breaks out between this group from Jerusalem and between them and Paul and Barnabas. The Bible says there in verse number 2, there was no small dissension. The contention, the dissension was sharp. Uh, there were words flying back and forth. And uh, no doubt there was some character smearing even that was going on. And so what was going on here is that you had a group of Jews bringing what I'll call legalism into the church. And this battle has been fought for centuries, really millennia within the church era. So that brings us to the title of the sermon tonight, and that's this, The Dangers of Legalism. The Dangers of Legalism. What is legalism, and is it still present? I would say, oh, yes. It is very present. It is present in many, if not most, churches. We're going to talk about what it is and how to stay away from it tonight in the message. Lord, help us as we consider the Word of God and what it means and what it says. And Lord, may we do justice to the passage. May we, uh, Lord, uh, as we dissect this passage, may we gather from it exactly what you had intended for us and make applications both to our, us as a church corporately, but also to our hearts individually. Thank you for each one that's here this evening. Lord, no doubt you have something in store for each of us. May we all find that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, Paul and Barnabas had uh, made it back to Antioch from their first missionary journey. Look back at Acts chapter 14 with me, and you'll see that they stayed there in Antioch for a lengthy period of time, concluding their first missionary journey. Look at the last verse of Acts 14, Acts 14, 28. The Bible says, And there they, that's Paul and Barnabas, there they abode long time with the disciples. Now, Paul and Barnabas had been in charge of the church 
of Antioch before they left for their first missionary journey. And the Holy Spirit had called them. They laid hands on them. And they had sent them out into the wild, wild west, if you will. They had sent them out into the darkness to preach the gospel to people who knew nothing about Jesus and His saving grace. They had gone all about uh, the regions of Tarsus and they had made it back uh, safely, although uh, Paul was almost killed at one point. They had made it back and they were now back in their sending church and they were back doing the work they had been doing prior to their departure. And then lo and behold, lo and behold, while they're there busy serving, self-promoting Judaizers show up from Jerusalem and begin to corrupt the church. Now, what is a Judaizer, you ask? A Judaizer was someone who tried to bring the laws of Moses and make them part of of salvation. Now you may remember in Matthew chapter 5, I believe it's verse 17, Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He said, I came to complete the law and the prophets. So they jump on a phrase like that and think that means, well, then there are things that we must not lose from Moses that we must build on top of. And Gentiles, there are some things that you must do to obey Moses before you may be saved. It was a confusing time as they were leaving Judaism behind in its classical, traditional sense, its orthodox sense, and they're moving on to um, uh, grace and faith being the way of salvation. And this was a time that was very confusing for these Jews. Now, in the body of the message, we'll look more closely at the details of legalism. Um, uh, do, do preachers make their way into this congregation the way they did uh, here in Acts chapter 15? Do we have folks just show up into our church body and start preaching confusing and false doctrine uh, regularly here? Uh, is it possible that you would go to a life group on a Sunday morning and hear Jim Owens teaching something or Jacob Okai or uh, who else? Brother John Ordonez, he's speaking in tongues up in his class. Amen. Uh, no, Spanish. Uh, but um, is it possible you'd show up and hear something contrary? I don't believe so. Maybe on some things that are more minor, but I don't believe you would. But are there people showing up within the uh, group of, that makes up White Oak Baptist Church and sowing seeds of false doctrine? I believe, I believe maybe that's happening. I believe that's happening. Now, they're not showing up physically into the building, but some of you are busy watching preachers on YouTube that are preaching false doctrine. And that's getting you all mixed up and confused. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, does that happen, that people are tuning in to preachers and hearing preachers say things that are not uh, in line with the Bible or twisting the Bible and making it seem as though they're preaching the truth while we're not, they're not preaching the truth? Does that happen? I would say the Internet is filled with preachers who do that very thing. Now remember, more impressive doesn't mean that they're right. There are people out there that can out-preach me. They can preach circles around me. You say, oh, you're just being modest. Oh, no, I'm going to a conference down in New Jersey next week where every single preacher that preaches in the evening can preach circles around me. I'm not being modest or humble. That is the honest truth. There are people out there that can out-preach me. There's a lot of people out there that can out-preach me. But just because they're more impressive does not make them right. Tell them I said hello. Remember, this is important. Please listen. A new angle 
on the Word of God, a new angle on a doctrine isn't necessarily better than an old angle. I sat in a church for a handful of years where the preacher got up and he was always looking to impart a new angle on the Bible. Can I tell you that in that time where I sat in the church, I heard more heresy than anywhere else I've ever been. What did Solomon say? Solomon said this, there's nothing new under the sun. Young preachers especially, they, they seem to want to try to reinvent the wheel and preach something that's new, right? Something that's fresh. And I have to say that this book right here is as fresh as it gets. Just preach the Word of God. You don't have to be original. I heard someone say one time, you can be original or you can be nothing. And a guy tried to be original and he was both. He was original and he was nothing. Amen? Um, and so, uh, listen, just preach the Word of God. And uh, there are people who uh, are always looking for some new angle. They're looking for someone who's more impressive. And I would just say here uh, that in the past five years, I have dealt with small pockets of false doctrine that have crept into this church. Listen, and I thought this through before I put this down. Every single time, it has been someone who spends hours, by their own admission, hours, listening to their YouTube preachers, and, that, that, and they value the, the, the interpretation of Scripture from the YouTube preacher over what they're getting from the pulpit here at White Oak Baptist Church. They prefer their YouTube preachers over the solid doctrine of the Bible. You'll notice in Antioch that before the Judaizers showed up, this church was busy doing the work of God. Well, they were reaching their community. Uh, 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 Christians were first called by that name Christian in Antioch. Boy, they were busy. They were getting the job done. They were sending missionaries out. They were seeing things accomplished. And then all of a sudden, the Judaizers come in. All of a sudden, this strife breaks out within the church. And now, the, 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 the idea of reaching to the community comes to a complete screeching halt. And what do we learn from that? A church that is inward focused on each other is rarely outward focused on the lost. A church that is inward focused on each other is rarely outward focused on the lost. You show me a church that's fighting with each other, I promise you, they're not sending very many people out on Saturdays to reach people with the gospel or any other day of the week. I promise you, they're not having visitors come and stay. How many of you here have ever gone and visited a church and you walked in and thought, Boy, they're not getting along there very well. Anybody here ever had that experience? You know what I'm talking about? Hopefully you didn't have that experience here today. Amen. Okay, good. Um, uh, but uh, some churches, uh, people walk in and you can tell, boy, that there's, it's, t- it's tight. The tension's so thick, you can almost cut it. Um, when we're busy fighting each other, we're not fighting the devil. You all understand that? If you're fighting each other, what you're doing is you're hurting the kingdom of God. When you're fighting shoulder to shoulder, you're fighting together against the enemy, then you're building the kingdom of God. The dispute was a dangerous one and threatened the purity of the gospel message to both Jew and Gentile alike. This dispute happened at a pivotal moment in church history. Why? Satan was losing more ground with the blessing of Paul's missionary journeys. And Satan was not going to take it sitting down. 
He was not going to take it lying down. He was going to fight back. And so his way of fighting back was to stir up these false prophets and send them into the church of Antioch where the missionaries were being sent from and to try to taint the gospel message. This time he was going right at the throat of the church. He was attacking the gospel message. I propose that Satan is still today attacking the church with legalism. He waters down and dilutes the truth and simplicity of salvation. He undermines the importance and value of sanctification. He uses modern day Pharisees to hold up man-made standards as something necessary to obtain the love and favor of God. Satan is working to divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. But Christians, we must unite. We must come together. Christians must unite around the common good of the gospel message. Let's jump in tonight and notice three events that take place in Acts 15 as we consider the sermon title, The Dangers of of legalism. Okay, let's jump into the outline tonight. Take notes as we go. Here we go. Number one, notice the contention. The contention. Letter A, Judaizers press the law. Judaizers press the law. Look with me at Acts chapter 15 and look with me at verse number one. All right, here we go. Verse by verse. And certain men which, uh, which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Look down at verse 5. Look down at verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so they come in and say, listen, Gentiles, unless you're willing to get circumcised, you men, you Gentile men, unless you're willing to get circumcised and unless you're willing to keep the law of Moses, you don't even meet the qualifications to be saved. Uh, uh, forget it. You must first follow the law of Moses and then you can follow the law of Christ or receive the grace of Christ. And so they're bringing legalism into the church. What is legalism? Well, um, uh, we all know about first degree murder and second degree murder and third degree murder, right? The first degree murder case is far worse than a second or third degree. And so let me give you first degree, second degree, and third degree legalism, okay? First degree legalism is this, law required for salvation. Someone who says that you must follow some set of laws in order to be saved, that person is a legalist. All right. Now we're going to get into second and third degree in just a moment. But can I tell you that of the three, this is the worst offender and this is the most common offender. Religions around the world try to mix works into salvation, just like the Judaizers are doing here with circumcision. They'll tell you that to be, to go to heaven, you must be baptized. Well, everywhere in the Bible I read, I find that you believe, then you get baptized. Over and over and over again, believe and be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch said, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said back to him, if thou believest that Jesus is the Christ, thou mayest. Notice the belief came before the baptism. And so, uh, saying someone's got to be baptized in order to get saved, that is legalism. That's on the same level as saying you must be circumcised in order to be saved. Uh, saying someone has to live a good life 
to get to heaven is legalism. Did you know that uh, Catholicism in its, um, in, in its purest form is legalism? And uh, Islam in its purest form is legalism. And Hinduism in its purest form is legalism. In fact, all of the religions that require you to do something in order to obtain God's favor is Legalism. This is legalism in the greatest form. This is why when someone um, uh, gets a, a little a sideways with the Independent Baptist Church and says, Oh, that church is filled with a bunch of legalists. I say, Well, hold on just a moment here. Uh, we still preach salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing and minus nothing. We're not legalists here. But that's not what they mean. All right, let me give you second degree legalism. Second degree legalism is this. Uh, it's uh, law required to keep salvation. Law required to keep salvation. So some people say that in order to be saved, you've got to be a good person or you've got to follow some code of conduct or some set of rules and you can turn God's favor from being away from you to on you based on your, uh, uh, your ability to be a good person. Well, the Pentecostal crowd and much of the, uh, uh, the Church of uh, God crowd will teach that while God's uh, salvation is obtained by grace through faith, that you can lose your salvation if you don't follow a stringent set of rules. And I would say that's also legalism. Now, they haven't, they believe the entry point of salvation the same way that uh, it, the, we, we believe the Bible preaches it here. But they teach that once you quit following a certain set of rules, God can turn His favor off of you and you can lose your salvation. Now, really quick here, I, I don't want to uh, linger here long because we've got a whole lot more to cover. But let me just say this. John 1.12 says that when you receive Him, you become the Son of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1.12, you can look it up yourself. Jesus says, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says uh, that we're not to have any covetousness in our heart. And the verse goes on to say, For I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never is a very strong seal type uh, word. John 10 says that when we get, we believe that God puts us in the hand of uh, His hand and then wraps us into the hand of the Father. And then it says this, no man can pluck them out. And that includes yourself. You can't pluck yourself out of the hand of God. Once you get saved, that salvation is Foolproof, it's sealed tight. Let me go back to John 1.12, where the Bible says that as, uh, that, that as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Romans 8.15 and 16 talks about uh, adoption. And verse 16 talks about the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, uh, I have two children, and I love them both very much. And But guess what? No matter what they do, sonship cannot and will not ever be broken. It does not matter what crime my child commits. It does not matter how horrible one of my children would become. Once uh, Matthew and April are my children, they will always be my children. But did you know that fellowship with my children very much can be broken? Very much can be broken. And... Um, there are relationships, maybe even in this room today, where an adult parent with an adult child won't even speak to each other. And if that's you, boy, I'm sorry. My heart hurts for you. But do you know, while that fellowship with your child might be broken, sonship or daughtership can never be broken. And for a legalizer to say, you better bear fruit in your life, and by, your, by their fruit you shall know them, and uh, boy, you better, you better uh, uh, produce for the Lord, and you better follow a strict set of rules, or you've lost your salvation... My friend, once the child of God 
always the child of God. Sonship cannot be broken, but fellowship with God can be broken. How do we restore fellowship with God? Well, 1 John 1, 9 tells us how to do that. We confess and forsake, and He's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as a child comes to a parent and apologizes and shows some contrition and humility, boy, that can be restored. So what is legalism? Well, in the first degree, it's the law required for salvation. In the second degree, it's law required to keep salvation. Legalism in the third degree is man-made standards to earn God's sanctification. Man-made standards to earn God's sanctification. Now, this one, I believe, happens in independent Baptist churches. This is holding up something that's not in the Bible and saying, you better follow this or you don't have God's favor on your life. Um, And I could come up with a long list of offenses that uh, uh, I've seen in churches. Um, I was in one church where women were told that they had to wear skirts down to their ankles and their shirts up to their collarbone or God was angry with them. You know, that's just not in the Bible. Just not. Well, the modesty's in the Bible. Uh, ladies are told to dress modest. But can I just say, oh, really, we're all to dress modest. Men, listen, I, you don't want to see me walk around without a shirt on. Amen. That, that's not a good idea. Amen. Um, terrible idea. You don't know. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Amen. Uh, but uh, listen, uh, modesty is important for all of us. It's important for all of us. And, uh, but um, uh, holding a standard up that's not in the Bible and acting as though God's not happy with you or God doesn't love you if you follow that, now that one does happen in churches uh, that, that are similar to this one. We try to keep that out of the church here. But let me ask you a question. First degree, second degree, third degree. You have first degree up here. You have second degree right here. And third degree is not good. But in comparison to the first and second degree, boy, I would say, why do about this church? There's no serious problem with legalism here. We preach salvation as a gift of God by the grace of God received by the faith in the heart of man or woman to receive that gift. We believe that salvation is an eternal gift that once received uh, lasts forever. First degree, second degree, and third degree legalism. What Jewish laws were being pressed on the Gentiles. Well, we know from reading the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews and the book of Galatians, there were three Jewish laws, three Mosaic laws that were being pressed on the Gentiles. And here's what they were. Circumcision of all males, kosher eating, not eating unclean meats, and that the Sabbath would be observed. And they were wanting the Gentiles to follow these three things before they could even qualify to be saved. And so here you have these men that come up from Jerusalem where James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the pastor. They come to the church of Antioch, uh, supposedly bearing the authority of James. We'll learn later they didn't have that. Uh, and claiming that uh, from the Jerusalem church, boy, you better get your men circumcised before they can even be saved. Well, Paul and Barnabas weren't happy about this. Notice letter B. Paul and Barnabas preach grace. So we saw that the Judaizers pressed the law, and we see that Paul and Barnabas pushed back, and they preach grace. Look with me at Acts chapter 15, and look at verse number 2. The Bible says, When therefore Paul 
and Barnabas, look here, had no small dissension and disputations with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem and the apostles and elders about this question and being brought on their way to, uh, by, the, uh, by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and they uh, caused great joy unto all the brethren. So you have these Judaizers. They come in and really they're bigoted toward Gentiles and they're trying to get Gentiles to convert to Judaism before they'll be saved. And then Paul and Barnabas get into a big fight with them. Uh, not physical uh, fist fight, I don't think. But definitely a verbal fight with the Judaizers. And there's this arguing and this bickering that's going forth in the church. And uh, it made for a tense environment. Finally, the elders of the church of Antioch looked at Paul and Barnabas and looked at the elders, uh, or looked at these Judaizers, and they said, listen, guys, why don't you go to Jerusalem where the apostles are, hash it out in front of them, and come back and let us know what was said. Hey, take this and leave. Y'all are causing nothing but problems. Go elsewhere. And so Paul and Barnabas said, that's what we'll do. And so they made the trip to Jerusalem and all the way to Jerusalem. You know what they did? They stopped at all these little churches around Samaria that had been reached by Philip. And you know what they did? They told them about what had happened in their missionary journey and how Gentiles had been saved. And boy, people were rejoicing. So we see here the contention, the contention. Now, before we move on to number two, I just want to slip this in here. Um, there, uh, it is always appropriate to stand and fight for proper doctrine in a church. Always appropriate. I was in a church, or rather I was, yeah, I was in a church once uh, where the pastor prior to the one I was working under, the pastor prior to the one I was working under came into the church and he worked to bring Calvinism and a different version of the Bible into that church. And you know what? The people in that church bowed up and threw that man out. And you know what that pastor tried to do? He tried to stand up and say, Oh, well, you're to follow the man of God and don't sow discord among the brethren. When do you stand up for what's right? When doctrine is being meddled with, it's time to stand up and fight. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. Now, we don't stand up and fight over paint colors. And we don't stand up and fight over cosmetic changes. And we don't stand up and fight uh, over nursery schedules. And we don't stand up and fight over things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when doctrine is disturbed and doctrine is tainted and apostasy is brought in, boy, then it is time to stand up and fight. Number one, the contention. Number two, we see the council. The council. And so Paul and Barnabas and these Judaizers, they uh, gather at the church in Jerusalem where they're going to hash out their difference, differences in front of the apostles and elders of the Jerusalem church. Where it all started there in Jerusalem. Tensions must have run high. Many Pharisees had left traditional Judaism and had joined the, the, the Jerusalem church. They brought with them a love and loyalty to Moses and the Mosaic law. They brought with them a lifetime of loyalties to a certain lifestyle and I, I would parallel this to maybe Christians in India who refuse to eat beef now why do Christians in India many of them refuse to eat beef well because in the Hindu world which is the main religion in in, in India uh, you worship cows and you don't eat 
beef. But so they grow up culturally not eating beef. And then they get saved. And while they're permitted to eat beef, they still choose not to because that's just not what they're used to. That's not what they enjoy. That's not what they want. And so you have these folks being saved out of Judaism and a lifestyle their whole life being ingrained in that. And now they're being told to change and to leave a lot of those religious customs and cultures behind. And they're having a hard time doing it. And so, if you will, imagine with me that you have the, the, the Judaizers on one side of the room and you have the grace preachers like Paul and Barnabas and their crowd on the other side of the room. And up on a platform, if you will, you've got the, uh, the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church. And James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, the one that wrote the epistle of James, and the one that's the half-brother of Jesus, he's sitting up there on the platform. And both sides are going to try to make their case. And so there's opening arguments and the Judaizers go first and they say their piece and then all of a sudden it's time for the other side to speak and lo and behold, Peter is called upon. Notice letter A, Peter's recollection of the past. Look down with me, or rather take your Bibles back to Galatians chapter number 2. We'll come back to Acts just a moment. Now, Peter was first to speak. No doubt when he got up, Paul must have been a little bit nervous. Paul must have been a little bit nervous. You see, it was just a couple of weeks prior or a couple of months prior that Peter had allowed the Judaizers to influence him to get up from a table where he was eating with Gentiles and leave and go sit down with the Jews. Peter had flipped and uh, flipped sides and Paul was right there to get in his face and let him have it. Look at Galatians chapter number 2 and look at verse number 11. The Bible says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him, Paul speaking here, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. What happened here? Paul is getting in Peter's fight, face and uh, they're, 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 they're exchanging words and Paul is reprimanding the, the great Peter. Verse 12, For before that certain came from James, those are Judaizers, came from James, came from Jerusalem. He, Peter, did eat with the Gentiles. But when they, the Judaizers, were come, Peter withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dis, uh, dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas, this is Paul's partner, Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Barnabas got swept up in this move to, to, to be removed from the Gentiles and eat at a different table and uh, stay away from the Gentiles who had not been circumcised. But when I, Paul, saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, we see words being exchanged here, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not uh, as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. So what's Paul saying to Peter here? He's saying, look, man, if you're going to treat the Gentiles different than the Jews, then why are we all even getting together and having church together? Now, this had just happened a few weeks prior or a days prior. I don't know how many days, but days prior to this council in Jerusalem. And Peter's going to get up to speak. Now, uh, how many of you are with me in understanding that Peter probably did not like having Paul get in his face and correct him? You know what Peter could probably in his flesh was tempted to do? Side with the Judaizers, 
just to stick it to Paul who had gotten in his face. And so Peter gets up first to speak at this council. This council's a big deal. Because the apostles, the one who walked with Jesus, are going to help set the direction with the belief of salvation moving forward. I'm sure Paul was a little bit nervous and thought maybe he wished he'd been a little bit more graceful with Peter. But Peter gets up, and what does Peter say? Look at Acts 15 and look at verse number 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter... And when there had been much disputing, there's your opening arguments, both sides going back and forth and arguing the disputing. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, now he's going to recollect of the past. Look here, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referencing Cornelius here, Acts chapter 10. And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. What does Peter say? He points to the past, and he talks about how that God used him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Turn over to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 with me. Uh, Did Cornelius and his house need to convert to Judaism before they got saved? No. Did Peter go into Cornelius' house, uh, the Italian man, and say, you know what, I want you to be saved, Cornelius, but before you do, you and all the other men in your house need to get circumcised. Then we can talk about that. No. No, that wasn't discussed. Did they say, well, you know what, that pork in your refrigerator, you got to throw that out. That's an unclean meat. Throw that out, then we'll talk. No, 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 no. He went in and he preached to him Jesus and Cornelius based on God's grace and Cornelius' faith, was saved. Look at Matthew 16 and look at verse number 16. Here we see Jesus interacting with uh, Simon Peter and his disciples. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail again. Look at verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I know we've got some Bible scholars in the room. Some self-proclaimed Bible scholars in the room. Amen? And that's just the women. I'm not talking about the men. Some of you are probably far smarter than me, but can I tell you that verse 19 always confused me a little bit until I got to this passage in Acts 15 and looked back on these verses. What does it mean when he said, when Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven? What do keys represent? You show me a man that has, a man or woman that's got a lot of keys, I'll show you someone that's got a lot of responsibilities. Right? That's a big deal. Keys unlock and open things. So what was Peter given the keys to? Can I tell you what he was given the keys to? He was given the keys 
to the church. Now watch this. It was Peter who stood up and preached in Acts 2 where the Jews began to get saved. And then it was Peter in Acts chapter 8 that went with John to Samaria after Philip had preached, laid hands on them, and then the, the, the Samaritans were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now notice that when Peter preached in Acts 2, the Jews got saved. And Peter showed up in Acts 8 and laid hands on those that had believed. The Holy Ghost fell. It was Peter that had the key for the Jews to enter the kingdom. It was Peter that had the key for the Samaritans to enter the kingdom. And then it was Peter that had the key that allowed the Gentiles to begin to enter the kingdom. In Acts 10, he's the one who is sent to Cornelius' house. He's the one that leads the first, as far as we know, Gentile to the Lord that begins to open the floodgates. Now, I know Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter number uh, 8, I believe that was, or no, Acts, yes, Acts 8, but that really opened the door for uh, the floodgates to flood open there in Acts chapter 10. The keys to the kingdom. This is what it meant. And so here you have Peter, the one whom the church, that, that, that stone, that pebble, that, that Petros, the stone is built upon, uh, rather the church is built upon, he stands up, does he side with the Judaizers? No, he sides with salvation, is a gift of God, received by grace, and by faith and grace alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. Now, what is the response once Peter is done with his comments? Look down at verse 12 of Acts 15. Now, you would think that the Judaizers, man, they'd have a rebuttal ready to go, but that's not the case. Boy, this threw water on the fire of the Judaizers. This was a wet blanket on their passion. Look at verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence. Peter finished his comments and he sat down and you could hear crickets in the room. All of a sudden, the Judaizers' argument had been gutted. So Peter had dealt the Judaizers a crushing blow. Letter A, we see Peter's recollection of the past. Letter B, we see Paul and Barnabas' report of the present. Paul and Barnabas' report of the present. Look at verse number 12 with me again. Acts 15, verse 12. The Bible says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Now Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he does not recount uh, Paul's first missionary journey for us here because we just got through reading Acts 13 and 14 and all of the details are laid out there. So Luke in one verse sums up what Paul and Barnabas shared to the council by saying to them, he recounted to them what I laid out for you in Acts chapter 13 and 14. How that uh, God worked through grace and faith and miracles were seen among the Gentiles. Look back with me to Acts chapter 13. We see here that the words grace and faith, grace and faith are mentioned over and over again while Paul and Barnabas are on their missionary journey uh, in, in, in Gentile world. Look at Acts 13.43. Acts 13.43. The Bible says, And when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. The grace of God. Look down at chapter 14 and look at verse number 3. Again, we see an emphasis on the grace 
of God. Here we go. A long time, therefore, abode they. This is speaking of Iconium. The, the abode they, uh, uh, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So, what are Paul and Barnabas? Preaching in Gentile world? Are they preaching the the law of Moses? Are they preaching circumcision? Are they preaching dietary restrictions? Are they preaching the observance of the Sabbath day? No, they're standing up and they're preaching about the grace of God and then they're preaching about the faith of the folks. Look at Acts chapter 13 and look at verse number 12. 13, 12. Look here, the Bible says, Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, got circumcised. Is that what it says? When he saw what was done, got baptized. When he saw that was what was done, joined the Catholic Church. Is that what it says? When he saw what was done, believed. There's the faith. Believed. Being astonished at the doctrine of God. The grace of God was explained to the deputy, and the deputy just simply believed to be saved. Look down at verse number 39. Acts chapter 13 and verse 39. And by him all that kept the Sabbath. No, all that believed are justified for all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. What was explained to these Gentiles? You don't have to keep the law of Moses per se. You need to believe to be saved. All right, time out. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament. All right? You come to church on a Sunday night, I'm going to give you so much information, you're going to feel like you're drinking out of a fire hydrant. Amen? Go back and listen to it again if you need to. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament. Okay? You have dietary laws, okay? you have civil laws, and you have moral laws. Dietary laws, that's like eating clean and unclean meat. The dietary laws were done away with in the book of Acts when the blanket was lowered down to Peter and God said, Arise, kill, and eat. What I have called clean, call that, now, call that not unclean. Dietary laws do not apply to us living today. The civil laws were just meant to help them govern their nation. We don't live in the nation of Israel, and so the civil laws in the Old Testament do not apply to us. But the moral laws are always in place. Thou shalt not kill still means thou shalt not kill. It's a moral law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't you dare uh, fool around on your spouse. Thou shalt not covet. Boy, that's a moral law. Those are to be kept. But notice, you don't need to keep those to be saved. Why did God give us the law? This is what the Judaizers were missing. God gave us the law not so that we could try to outdo each other and be better than each other. God gave us the law to show us that we fall short. And in our falling short, we need God's grace to make up the difference. Paul and Barnabas, when they went in there, they didn't say, boy, y'all are a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners, and look at the filth you live in. Boy, start to clean your life up a little bit by the laws of Moses. Then we can talk about you getting saved. Oh, no, no, no. He went in and said, God's grace was showed on Calvary. Should put your faith and believe in Jesus in your sinful state and be saved. Look at Acts 14 in verse 1. Verse 1 of Acts 14, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Now notice here, the door of salvation for the Jews and the door of salvation for the Gentiles is exactly the same. It's faith. It's faith. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you are saved by faith 
into the grace of God. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? They got up and said, hey guys, let me just share with you what's going on in our present world. We're in the middle of these missionary journeys, and boy, we didn't go preach the laws of Moses. We, got, we went and preached the grace of God, and all these people got saved. Here are the miracles that back up what we're telling you. Letter C, notice this, James's reminder of the future. James's reminder of the future. Well, it's not going so well for Team Judaizer. They come in trying to push Moses' laws, and Peter has stepped on them. And then Paul and Barnabas has gotten up, and obviously they were going to step on that thought process. But James, if you read through James's epistle, boy, James was very much a rigid rule follower. James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. James was called to lead Jewish Christians. Uh, these Judaizers claim to have James's authority in Galatians chapter number 2, well now what's James going to say? So James doesn't come in and squash the Jewish Christians. James comes in and very diplomatically handles them. Look at Acts 15 and look at verse number 13. The Bible says, And after they had held their peace, so uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas sit down, there must have been a small discussion, things get quiet, now it's James's turn. James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, and this is speaking of Peter, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophet as it is written. Look here, this is a quote from Amos 9. After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men or the remnant of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Know unto God are, uh, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So uh, he's quoting there out of Amos 9. Then James continues with his conclusion. Look at verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Now, we'll look at verse 20 in just a moment. But what's he saying here? He's saying to those of you that are Jews who want so bad for Jewish pride and Jewish nationality and the second kingdom of God to be set up on earth. Those of you that don't want Moses and his laws to be forgotten. Those of you that want to hurry up and usher in the coming of the kingdom of Christ. He says, guys, I just want to assure you, based out of the prophet Amos, that God has not forgotten about you. One day, one day, Jesus is going to come back and the tabernacle of David will be restored, and Jesus is going to be your Jewish king that will rule forever. But guys, right now, God is going to work and reach the Gentiles, and we need to work with them. He said, furthermore, let's not take this Jewish yoke and lay it on our Gentile brethren. Let's not try to force something on them that they're not comfortable with. Now, look at verse number 20 with me. Look at verse 20. And boy, when it comes to that third degree legalism of holding up standards to earn God's favor, uh, look at verse number 20. Look here, it says, But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols, that's idolatry, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from 
blood. What was it that these Judaizers were really concerned with? Well, to reiterate what I just said a moment ago, they were afraid of losing their national pride. They were afraid of Israeli dominance slipping into irrelevance. We know they valued Moses and his laws. They would constantly tell Jesus, we don't know of whom you are, but we are of Moses. From the time they were children, they had been taught the law of Moses and the way of Moses. To lose the customs and traditions of the Mosaic law would mean losing part of their identity. James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church and half-brother of Jesus, tell these Jewish men, guys, don't worry. God has not forgotten about Israel. There will be a day when God will raise up the remnant and He Himself will rule from David's tabernacle. So, let's not take these Jewish Old Covenant laws and force them on our brethren. Then James did something brilliant. He knew Gentile struggles and he knew the problems they were causing amongst the Jewish believers. So he gave them... All right, notice below this, I don't know if this will be on the screen, but he gave them two commandments, two commandments. What were the two commandments? He said, flee fornication, flee fornication, and flee idolatry. Flee idolatry. Now what happened was, you had Gentiles getting saved and coming into the church, and they were bringing their, their idols with them. They were bringing their fornicating lifestyle with them. See the book of 1 Corinthians. You see both of those things present. And here he's saying, guys, Gentiles, listen, if we're going to have a church that's pure, you can't be sleeping with whoever you want to sleep with whenever you want to sleep with them just because it's convenient uh, for your lifestyle. Uh, Marriage is where sex is to stay, and you don't have that outside of the confines of marriage. Be monogamous within your marriage. Be pure within your marriage. Flee fornication. He said you also need to flee idolatry. The bowing down and worshiping false gods. You Gentile believers, that has got to go. And you know what? To that, uh, James, I would say, amen and amen. Those things don't belong in, a, in the life of a believer. But then, now watch this, then he asks for two compromises. Two compromises. What were the two compromises? Now again, these aren't in the Bible, but this is just to make the body of, make the body of Christ go. Watch this. He requested that they eat kosher meat. Please eat kosher meat. What was he saying? To your Jewish brethren that you go to church with, you're leaving the blood in your meat, and to them it is an offense. And so out of love for your Jewish brethren, please make sure your meat is kosher. And the second compromise he requested is that they please don't eat meat offered before idols. Don't eat meat offered before idols. Back in uh, this time, they would take uh, meat as it would come into the market, and they would put it out in front of an idol and let it sit there for 24 hours, and then they would take it and put it out in the market to be served. And the best cuts of meat had been offered up to an idol before it was sold to the people. And Paul would tell us in his letters, it's not a sin to eat this meat, because it's meat. Uh, But he said, if it's going to be an offense to your brethren, then please don't do it. Now, notice here what James is saying to the Gentile church. He's saying, if it's sin, then don't. If it is perceived sin, then don't. If it's perceived sin, then don't. Now, um, there are times where I get into somebody's car or I have them get into my car. And you know what? I might have a, a radio station playing and I think to myself, 
that particular radio station might be an offense to my brother. You know what I need to do in that situation? I need to shut it off. Now, I say, oh, there's nothing wrong with me listening to this, and I'm right. But if it's an offense to them, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient, Paul said. There are certain kinds of music that may not bother your conscience that might bother my conscience. We get together and you say, well, there's nothing wrong with that music. But if it's an offense to your brother, shut it off. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to dabble in one more little area here. I want to show you what James is dealing with here. We're a community. You all get that White Oak Baptist Church is a giant community. Amen? The way we dress within this community matters. We don't have a dress code at White Oak Baptist Church, but we do have a dress culture. We live in a world where us men, we wander around the streets, we go to the shopping malls with our families, we uh, are are going about our day-to-day, and lewdness and nudity in some form is shoved in our face constantly. You know the last thing Christian men want to see when they come to church? They don't want to see any of that. Don't come to church with your undergarments showing. It's just not helpful. It's just not helpful. Let's let this be a safe zone for all parties and all people. And if you're a man and you're really well chiseled and you've got a really good frame, please don't wear skinny pants to church. Amen. We don't need the ladies looking at you as you walk by. And you know. And if you're not in good shape, especially don't wear skinny jeans to church. Amen. That's really, really a problem. Amen. Uh, don't do that. Amen. You're, then you cause a sin in another way. Uh, so uh, be, be, let's be careful about that. We're a community. Let's protect each other. Let's, uh, let's be mindful one of another. And what's Paul saying here? He's saying this has nothing to do with favor with God. This has everything to do with unity within the body of Christ. Hey, uh, to you, notice the compromise here. To you Jews, hey, let's back off the keeping of the Sabbath day. Let's back off the circumcision of the males. And uh, amen on that one, uh, especially if you weren't. Uh, uh, you all back off on those. And to you Gentiles, hey, let's back off the idolatry and the fornication. Hey, and let's let's not be eating meat that's so offensive to our Jewish brethren. Let's come together and let's have community together in Christ. I read a great, great, great quote about two weeks ago that I've been dying to share with the church. In fact, if you have a pen and paper, please, please write this down, okay? Here's the quote. Unity is not agreeing on everything. Unity is forgiveness and forbearance. Unity is not agreeing on everything. Unity is forgiveness and forbearance. Do you know that Jim Owens and I can have a different opinion on something that's more ancillary? And we can still love each other and get along? Because he can learn to forbear me, and I can learn to forgive him for being wrong. Amen? We can learn to forgive and forbear. You don't have to dot your I's and cross your T's the way I do. That's not necessary. But we can learn to forbear each other when it's not really all that, all that, uh, 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 for a, a lack of a better phrase, all that big of a deal. But we can learn how to move on and let things go. Listen, it's not legalistic to ask someone to be respectful of someone else's preferences. It's biblical. It's biblical. 
We need to be careful about that. All right, number three. This is the shortest point I got. We're almost done. Notice number three, the circulation. The circulation. The council had met. Each side had said their peace. Peter, Paul, and James had made their points clear. Salvation is not earned by keeping any set of laws. Salvation is a gift received by faith. Plus nothing, minus nothing. There was a certain behavior the Gentiles believers were asked to live by in order to help the unity of the church. And now the conclusion of the meeting needed to be spread abroad to all of the churches. How would they do this? Quickly, letter A, epistles. These are letters. Epistles, and those would be sent abroad. Look back at verse number 20 and verse number 21. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornications. Okay, that's the idolatry, the fornication. Here's the compromise. And from things strangled and from blood. Look at 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city uh, them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So uh, let's write these letters. Verse 20 says that we write unto them. So let's write these letters. Let's get the word out to the church on the, uh, the, the where we stand on salvation, what uh, commandments were given to the Gentiles, and what compromises were requesting of the Gentiles. Letter B and lastly, notice elders. Elders. And these were sent to Antioch. So where did this fight originate? It originated in the church of Antioch. This is where the Judaizers came and got Paul and Barnabas all stirred up. And then Peter came and switched sides. And, uh, and they're just bickering and battling and fighting. And, and the Antioch church said, send them to Jerusalem and figure it out and come back and let us know what you come up with. Look at 22. Then please, now we're going to read straight to 35. So follow the narrative as we read here. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the, the apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of uh, the uh, Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which uh, went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to, them, uh, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with, uh, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these uh, necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, for which it, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and uh, when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation, and Judas and Silas, being prophets, uh, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So they're taking questions, they're answering questions, they're laying out in the mouth of two or three witnesses what had happened at Jerusalem 33. And after that, they after they had carried their space, they would let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of God with many 
others also. All right, three concluding thoughts, and I'm just going to read them with very little comment here. Number one, uh, concluding thought number one, keep salvation simple. Keep salvation simple. Listen, we don't need to complicate the gospel. Amen? Salvation is a gift of God purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. It is received by faith. You bow your head, you call in the name of the Lord, you receive the gift of eternal life. Uh, concluding thought number two, value unity within the body of Christ. Value unity within the body of Christ. Forbear and forgive. Forbear and forgive. And number three, understand God's grace and how it works. God's grace is not a license for us to go live however we want. God's grace gives us liberty from living under the bondage of sin. And so live by God's grace. And, uh, but at the same time, give grace to others that they grow accordingly. I finish with this, all right? Let's see here. Brother John, can you come up here and help me? Let's say that Brother John here gets saved, and he's a brand new Christian. Okay, brand new Christian. And let's say that um, he's got some habits in his life that don't line quite up with the Bible. All right? And I've been going to church for 37 years. And boy, I've got the Bible figured out inside and out about every way, way possible. And, and I'm living a lifestyle that pleases God in line with the Bible. And Brother John comes to the church, and boy, you know, he's got some habits in his life that don't please the Lord. Here's how grace works. Grace is me looking at Brother John and saying, he doesn't need me preaching down his throat everything that needs to change. He needs me to come alongside of him and show him the love of God and the grace of God, and in time we'll let the Holy Spirit of God convict his heart about things that need to change. You all with me tonight? He doesn't need me sticking my Pharisee finger in his face. He needs me showing him the love of God and answering the questions that he has as he has them and doing so with grace. With grace. What, thank you, Brother John. What do we want White Oak Baptist Church to be? We want it to be a place where people can come in raw to the faith and sit down with the Bible and hear it preached and taught and the Holy Spirit of God can take that and work in your hearts individually. And little at a time, he begins to turn you into the image and likeness of Christ through his grace. Let's not be Pharisees. Amen? Let's let God work in each person's life individually and trust and understand that process is a little bit different for each of us. Let's have our heads bowed nice closed this evening. Legalism in the church, it's dangerous. We sure don't want it here. Salvation is a free gift obtained by faith, by believing in Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing. If you've never... Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. If you've been leaning on some set of works to get you to heaven, my friend, today, uh, the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Why not call on Him by faith and let Him save you? It really is as simple as a child receiving a gift on Christmas morning. You open up your heart. God's not looking for you to be anything special or do anything special. He's simply looking for you to have a childlike faith where you open your heart and you simply believe and receive that free gift of salvation. If you've never done that before, can I encourage you to do that tonight? There needs to be some point in your life where you believe in Jesus and call on Him. Ask Him to give you that gift of eternal life. If you're here today and maybe you're a little bit of a Pharisee, there's a little Pharisee in you. You're looking down on people who aren't quite where you are and uh, judging them uh, too harshly. Boy, it's time to start showing that grace and living out that grace 
toward others. Lord, tonight, would you work in our hearts? Would you help us to be more like you? Would you help us to lift you up and make much of you? And Lord, would you help us to have a church that forgives and forbears and knows what unity truly is? Be with us at this time during this invitation. In Jesus' name.